Oh yeah! Welcome back to the K-Max and I thought I'd just interrupt my training session here in this beautiful outdoor gym, one of the best gyms I've ever come across. And I've come a lot of, across a lot of gyms around the world from Venice Gym to Santa Monica Gym to Miami Gyms, all outdoor type gyms and this is just magnificent, it's underneath the Remarkables that makes our atmosphere training even more remarkable. As you can see, I was doing a bit of training, and you may ask, hey, K-Man, what are you training for? Well, at the moment, I'm training for sprinting. I want to increase my explosive speed and my sprint performance. And you may ask, yeah, but you were sort of slowly jogging there. You could almost say I was plug jogging. And I might respond go, yeah, I, I was, because I'm working on my foundation. I'm building my base. I'm improving my cardiovascular base and that stronger, thicker base will be able to raise my peak when I go into the sprint phase to increase my speed. And that sounds pretty convincing. However, it could be convincingly wrong because just because it sounds sincere and convincing doesn't mean it's right. It could be sincerely, convincingly wrong and a lot of times people will use those general terms of yes I'm building my foundation I'm building my base and we think yeah that makes sense you've got to get a base because you know the foundation I'm, I'm in this beautiful area underneath the remarkables and there's lots of development going and buildings and homes being built and all of them and I've been observing they all have a base they build a, a foundation yes and they get the foundation and then they design the house and build the house on top of that layer it up to the roof until it's finished and if I asked, you know, what's in your foundation, you'd find that the builder and the engineer and the supplier of the foundation would know exactly what is in the foundation. The contents of the concrete, the amount of sand, the amount of stone, the amount of cement, the amount of additives in there, taking into account how strong it has to be, how durable, how mobility has to be, because we live in New Zealand, so they get a little bit of a shaky earthquakes here. So you'd find a, a builder, an expert, who's an expert in their expertise, would know the ingredients of the foundation of a base of a home and every other aspect of the home. So when you say, oh, I'm building a foundation or a base for my training, then you'd expect that if I ask you exactly what components of the foundation are you building? Is it your cardiovascular fitness, your MVO2? Is it you changing your respiratory quotient? Are you more working on uh, muscular endurance, increased glycogen uh, concentration? Are you looking at increasing activation of your fastest muscle fibers? Maybe the training and the transition of your fast oxidative, oxidative glycolytic fibers. What exactly are you building? Is it is it your what physiological component, anatomical component are you building? Because foundation is just a very broad generic term. What is that foundation actually made up of? And if you find that, hey, well, maybe that word is really impressive and it maybe sounds great, but if I get dig down and get into the dirt, then maybe I don't really know what that is. So, yeah, what do you, I guess the, the point of this session is so that when you say a foundation or a base or any training program, no matter what it is, it's really important as an exercise professional that you know all the components uh, from an anatomical, physiological, biomechanical point of view that make up any phase of your training to justify that phase to go to the next phase and making sure that that phase is actually building what you build because sometimes you might be building a foundation for the wrong outcome. You think that you're, this foundation is getting you that but actually when you break it down and look at it it's actually getting you something else. 
And that's about self-justification for yourself as an exercise professional. Be able to be deliver your programs to yourself and to other people with integrity, knowing that you've done everything possible to uh, make it the most integral, effective, best program, efficient program that you can possibly make. And Rory puts this beautiful saying on everything that she does or she comes across, and she asks this question, why am I doing this and how does it work? And when you say, why am I doing this? Then you have to know the specific outcomes of what you want to achieve. And then you have to say, how does it work? How does all the ingredients of this training, the reps, the sets, the duration, the work ratio, the intensity, the frequency, the volume, how is that all blended together to guarantee that I'm going to get the best of my training time, the biggest bang for my buck? So I'm going to go through uh, five questions that you can ask yourself uh, and any program that comes upon your table uh, when it comes to training and ask these questions and dig a bit deeper so if you dig deep you will get more closer to the truth rather than staying on the superficial claims and and the promises and the hope and thinking well it sounds good but let's hope it works rather than guaranteeing that it works and I used to do that, uh, I've been in this profession now for 40 years, and in my earlier, uh, earlier phase of my career, I specialised in the elite conditioning for international Olympic level athletes and sporting teams. And so much so, I ventured down, because I always wanted to know more, know more, because if I know more, I can grow more. And I wanted always to make sure that I did the best for my athletes, that I gave them my best. Therefore, to do that, I have to be the best. So I did further study from a degree to a master's degree and I specialised in strength and conditioning for elite athletes, uh, sporting teams and my master's was done on some of the international teams that I work with. I more went in the area of speed and strength and power and strength development and I used baseball teams, international baseball teams as my measuring stick because baseball is very explosive very powerful relying on speed and and strength and so much so I got two internationally recognized uh, scientific published research studies out of it but in that journey I didn't do that to uh, impress anybody but just to build myself so I wanted to if I'm going to commit to this for the rest of my life then I want to become the best I can so I can do the best uh, for my athletes in that journey yes I learned lots of things but I always seeked the truth the justification of what I was doing and I'd always ask this question why am I doing this and how's this linked to the outcome and is it going to be the best form of training for them and is it effective is it efficient and most of all is it safe or it's not going to hurt them so the five questions that you have are what I share with you when you come across any program or plan or cycle and I will focus on the foundation today what people say the foundation because obviously that's uh, one of the topics of interest and you ought to be able to dissect that to see what is that to make sure that the claim is matched by the proof the first question to ask when you from a uh, the first box is just use the common sense when you look at the training regime or the the training activity and you say okay does that look like it's does it look like it's building what it's claiming to build? So if I say to you, look, I want to build my foundation of uh, jogging to get better at sprinting, me, you may ask, well, does that make any common sense? You're training slow to perform fast. Well, maybe there's a question mark to be put on that one. If I'm saying I'm increasing my cardiovascular fitness for running, but I go swimming. And I'm not to say that swimming doesn't build your cardiovascular uh, system, but is it the best base that you can build in that activity for running? So if I want to get better at running, then why am I swimming? So that doesn't make any 
possible common sense. If I'm exercising on the ground, but I perform in the upright position, if I'm training on the ground to perform in the upright, then you say, well, that doesn't sort of make any common sense. So the common sense is a, a good, a good, I guess, a good overall measurement of, okay, that doesn't make any sense. So let's dig it deeper. Uh, and if it doesn't make any sense, it's probably nonsense <laughs> so as the old classic saying goes the first one is the common sense rule the second one is the the position what i used to call the overall body position and that's sort of an extension of the common sense rule if i'm performing in the upright position but i'm training on the ground well my body is on the laying down supine position uh, but i'm actually training in the upright position well that doesn't make any sense if i'm swimming to increase my uh, running speed then I'm in completely different uh, positions one I'm laying down and the other one I'm standing up so a lot of people will put their bodies in interesting positions whether it be laying on the ground or laying on boards of air and rolling around or hanging from ceilings on vines and stuff like that and you say well first of all it doesn't make any common sense but also the reason why it doesn't make any common sense is because your body's in a completely different environment it's a completely different position uh, overall so that doesn't make any sense why do I train my abdominals in the laying down position when they perform in the upright position, well, that doesn't make any common sense, but also from a, just purely from a position, my, I'm training my body's, my abdominals or whatever it might be, in the laying down position, which is not the position that I perform in, because I perform in the upright position if I have an upright. Maybe there might be some form of conditioning on the ground if you're a wrestler or Brazilian jiu-jitsu type, and that might be justifiable. So, number one is uh, common sense. Number two is uh, your position, and. Even if you even go even further, if you look at the actions of sprinting versus jogging as I use, when I jog I stay more upright, when I'm sprinting I'm really leaning forward. So straight away there is a slight difference in body position from sprinting to jogging. So that position doesn't sort of match up either. Because ideally you want to make sure that all the roads that you're building in your foundation lead to Rome or lead to peak performance and they're leading in the right direction. All the paths, all your anatomical, physiological paths are leading that way. The next question is what we call, I call biomechanics. Biomechanics is looking at a more of a breakdown. We looked at more broad, common sense, broad body position. Uh, now we're getting a bit deeper into biomechanics, means the movement patterns uh, of the actions that you're doing in training and those movement patterns are they related or specific or or more f applied to the functional outcome so you might be training for sports specific reasons or just general functional reasons uh, for life or performance for sport or whatever it might be you have to look at yes the common sense the position and now the biomechanics what are the actual joints doing and I use different examples to uh, you know which not necessary to limit yourself to the sport, but to go use those principles and philosophies to be able to apply to all sports that you're involved in or all activities or goals that you're involved in so you can dissect it all and break it all up and see it for what it is. And it's like, okay, well, those ingredients are, yes, they're in sync with my performance dreams or outcomes or goals, or wait a minute, they're not at all. I'm actually spending a lot of time and effort on something which isn't going to make any difference and could be counterproductive in terms that it's taking away time where you can do something else, counterproductive that it's training the wrong systems or the wrong anatomical structures or the or the wrong physiology means it can be contradictory to your performance, can reduce performance and it could also have that volume repetitive strain effect where it actually could lead to injury because you're just doing inappropriate activities and I'll share some examples of that uh, as well. So biomechanics is looking at individual joints 
in the training uh, programs or exercises and you know it's a bit more micro observation to say okay that's that's connected that's heading in that direction or versus well wait a minute yeah all my actions I want to go north but actually my actions are heading me south <laughs> so that's not the direction I want to go so you got the biomechanical then you got the muscular uh, activities of the muscle the muscle activation because uh, different act- goals and different performance levels require different uh, muscular involvement different muscular levels of force and power and production and and then then we go into once you go into that then you have the physiology is it the appropriate physiology means the physiology is the fuel that feeds the muscular to move the biomechanics which is the joints to perform in the body position that you want. So really they see how they're connected. You've got the physiology, which is the fuel, means the, the petrol in the car that fuels the muscle, which is the engine, that then moves the joints, which is the wheels, that then moves the whole vehicle in the right position, and then common sense in the right uh, direction. So the physiology of what you're doing, and then uh, I guess last is what I call more the psychology, you know, is that activity preparing not just your body but your mind for that level of performance you know so you know if you're not used to training the mind to adhere to the pressures and the stress that are applied in that sporting activity uh, then you may find if you train lazy then you're not going to perform with with focus if that makes sense because uh, the body will only go where the mind will allow it which is the overall psychology in the overall program we'll talk more about that so if i use a, a few examples one of the little ones which uh, a simple which i just used jogging in and i'm training a, that as a foundation to build uh, a base and a, and a strong foundation to prepare me for sprinting now not to say that some activities that you may implement into your overall training program that you use, but not necessary to build a base, but you may use them for therapeutic reasons. You may use them for maybe yeah, a bit of variety in the off season to take the normal repetitive stresses off the joints and the muscles and the body that are more in that sport. You're gonna keep training the body, but in a different environment to relieve those stresses, but still apply uh, good stresses in the body to keep it fit, strong, and healthy. So that may have a form of cross-training in the appropriate time. Uh, in the off-season, you may use more, some activities for more therapeutic reasons. Uh, it means you're rehabilitating from an injury or whatever it might be. You're trying to unload certain joints, but you still want to train the cardiovascular system, even though you can't use those specific joints. And we'll go, go we'll dive deep into that. And you know, possibly you may... Uh, do some uh, activities now as a yeah just a bit of a mental break a bit of recreational type thing just to keep you sane rather than doing the same old you know focus 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 but you've got to make sure that they're all in a proportional level that don't that add to the value of the overall program not take from it they add to pushing you in the right direction sometimes you need a bit of time out sometimes you've got to take the race car off the track and get a bit of a service and give it a tune up and get it back on the track and understand that but that's more supplementary reasons so i want to focus more on the foundation to actually build that elite level of performance that you want to achieve whether it be for your life or for your sport so i may say okay common sense here plug jogging <laughs> is not necessarily make any common sense that that's going to enhance as a foundation for me to sprint. That just doesn't make, why would you train slow when you want to perform fast? Common sense, big question mark there. If you have a look at the, uh, the overall body position, 
plug jogging are more upright and body position in sprinting I'm more dynamic in this way so from a position uh, point of view uh, yes it's upright but it's certainly different uh, center of gravity you know when I'm plug jogging my center of gravity is more down my midline but to sprint I need to lean more further forward so from a body position it's not, not going to be yeah, uh, yeah, in sync directly with sprinting. So I'm training the body in an upright position where in sprinting I'm really getting that forward lean. Then we go to uh, the biomechanics. The biomechanics is obviously the breakdown of the individual joints. Well, first of all, let's start from the, the bottom up. When I plug jog, I tend to heel strike the ground. I hit the heel on the ground and I run this way. So, And I basically hit the ground with the heel and then from there I'll supinate and then I'll pronate the foot and that's basically how the, the foot works. Everyone's slightly different, I understand that. But it's heel, toe, heel, toe. That's what we tend to do when we jog because that's efficient and it gets me going and it's efficient to keep me going for a long period of time. But when you look at sprinting, when they take off, bang, they're pushing off the toes and they're pushing through the toes with maximal speed. So even if you've got that one particular joint of uh, uh, the, bio, the biomechanics of the, the ankle, you'd find that they're, they're very, very different from heel strike uh, to toe versus toe to push into, into sprinting. Not to mention all the other aspects, which I briefly mentioned, is the biomechanics of my, my body when I'm sprinting in full action versus plug jogging. And when, and when I plug jog or just jog, which we call long, slow distance, it's not as critical uh, as it is in sprinting, where in sprinting it's a short period of time, everything counts, so you have to be as effective and efficient as possible, but when I'm plug jogging, you know, I, I could every now and again scratch my head like this as I'm jogging, or yeah, my arm's out here, when sprinting I can't run like that, because that's not biomechanic, I need everything to be in that straight line, efficient, effective type movement path to sprint, not like this, or I can't scratch my head halfway through, because that's not biomechanically sound, but I can get away with it in plug jogging, but I can't get away with it in uh, sprinting. From a muscular point of view, from a muscular point of view, obviously, basic, they involve the same muscles, but obviously in sprinting, you're gonna involve a lot more calves in the push-off, because it's pushing through the heel. Your arms are gonna be a lot more powerful. If you just look at the, the physical structure of the frame of a sprinter versus a, a long-distance runner, then you can see there's gonna be a big muscular difference, whether it be, obviously, there's some genetics plays in that, but also uh, how you train for that. So sprinting, from a muscular point of view, relies on the activation of what we call fast wrist muscle fibers. Now there's three types of muscle fibers in three categories. Now there are more subcategories to that. But yeah, you start off with the slow twist muscle fibers, then you have your intermediate fibers, which are FOG fibers, fast oxidative glycolytic fibers, and then you have your pure fast twist muscle fibers called your fast glycolytic fibers. So the slow twist muscle fibers, they're slow. They don't generate as high amounts of force, but they have a high level of endurance. You can go for a long period of time. Then you have the other extreme is the fast glycolytic, glycolytic which is the, you know, the, the, the pure fast which there. Large fibres, hence why a lot of sprinters and power-based, strength-based sports people are bigger. They're large fibres, they contract quickly, they generate high amounts of force, but they have a low endurance. That's why you can't, sprinters don't, can't go for as long uh, past that 10 seconds. We'll get more into that. And then you have those intermediate fibres, your fast oxidative glycolytic, and they can be conditioned to train to take on characteristics of the slow twist muscle fibres or characteristics of the fast twist muscle fibres. So if I train slow, 
two things happen. When I train slow, jog, I'm not activating the fastest muscle fibers. I'm not activating that part of the engine or the car to go fast. I'm just activating that part of the engine to go slow. So I'm training my slowest muscle fibers to get into a rhythm and then go for long distance and lower forceful contractions for a longer period of time. But also a part of that, I'm conditioning those intermediate fibers, the fast oxidative glycolytic fibers, to take on characteristics of the slowest muscle fibers by changing the enzyme concentrations around the fiber. And if I'm going to train those intermediate fibers and I want to go fast why do I train them to go slow when I want to train them to go fast we call that specificity of training you know how you train it will determine how you uh, perform so from an anatomical from a muscular point of view uh, sprinting requires more fast twitch muscle activation rather than slow twitch so why do I train a lot of my training time on slow twitch when I can train the fast twitch so from a, a muscular point of view doesn't make a lot of sense from a physiology point of view as you already know we have basically three energy systems and the energy systems are the systems that fuel the body to perform and there's three energy systems you have the phosphate energy system which is the breakdown of an energy rich molecule held in the cells of the body called adenosine triphosphate and also stored with cretine phosphate so adenosine triphosphate is it gets broken apart releases energy and you can express maximum energy for about a couple of seconds after those couple of seconds, you've broken all the ATP apart, and then you need to rebuild it by using cretine phosphate or CP. And that rebuilds the ATP to extend that maximal output of force for a longer period of time, and that can go up to 10 seconds. The perfect example would be a 100-meter sprinter. It's around 10 seconds of maximal speed all the way. And obviously things like shock putters and high jumpers, and any short, brief, intense activity will rely on the phosphate energy system. That exhausts itself very quickly after about 10 seconds. Two seconds for the, phosphate, uh, for the uh, phosphate and then another up to eight, 10 seconds for the phosphate uh, with the cretin phosphate involvement. Then you go into the lactate energy system where you can't rebuild those ATP stores so therefore you now rely on another source to rebuild those ATP which is the breakdown of carbohydrate in food or glucose in the blood but we call it glycogen in the cells. So we break down glycogen. That's called the lactate energy system so what we do is we start breaking down glycogen which takes slower that gives us energy to rebuild the ATV so we can endure a bit further but we can't endure at the same speed as the phosphate we have to drop the speed down to keep going but we're still going fairly fast but not sprinting we're fast but not sprinting and that can extend our production of energy to perform for up to 30 seconds one minute two minutes depending on the intensity that you're going but that's the phosphate uh, the phosphate interaction with the lactate then if you want to keep going endurance where you want to keep going for a long time then the lactic acid builds up and then you need to tap into other sources of energy using oxygen and we call that the aerobic energy system so anaerobic which is the first two systems which is phosphate and lactate that's your anaerobic systems then you have your aerobic system where you, you breathe in oxygen to break down your fuel aerobically which takes longer and you break down your fat your carbohydrate and a little bit of protein and that produces energy at a slower rate to rebuild the ATP because you're going can you you're producing energy at a slower rate it takes slower to rebuild the ATP to use the ATP to produce energy so therefore you go slower but you have in you know not endless but you have a lot more storage of carbohydrate and fat particularly fat in the body to break down to really take you a long period a long way but you can't go at that same pace so they're the three energy systems sprinting obviously is in the phosphate system in the lactate system is things such, such as the 400 meter uh, run which is around about a minute uh, around the middle of maximum effort around 400 meter track and if i restrict my analogy to, to running 
and then you have the long distance 5k 10k marathon which is the aerobic so if i want to train and be specific physiologically to sprinting i want to be tapping in conditioning and developing all the enzymes around uh, phosphate energy production in those first 10 seconds rather than lactate or aerobic so doing long distance running yes it's building a foundation but it's not directly building a foundation to really stimulate or develop or enhance my phosphate energy system the you know you're you're, tra- you're you're training by heading south but you want to go north it's it's the opposite ends of the spectrum aerobic conditioning way down here in the energy timeline you can't see my hand and uh, phosphate right here in the start of the energy so marathon running or long distance running here and this end is 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 sprint training or phosphate uh, activation aerobic activation and something in between is going to be the lactate so that's the next question is is your training foundation is it activating the right energy system or the the fuel supply uh, for that activity because you have three different sources of fuel in petrol in in a car you only have one which is petrol and petrol is i guess in the body like atp but we in the in in the car we break the petrol apart that produces energy or releases energy and then the car goes and when the petrol runs out we fill it back up but the body has an amazing ability to break that energy apart which is atp which is the body's source of petrol but we don't fill it back up we can obviously uh, indirectly through carbohydrate and fats through our food but straight away we can rebuild that atp but to break molecules apart that releases energy to rebuild the atp we need energy and that's where we get that energy from breaking down our substrates of energy which is your fat carbohydrate and protein so we break down that energy to rebuild the petrol to drive the engine but the speed of rebuilding determines what energy system we're in so if you're in the phosphate it's very quickly and it's all broken down if you want to re- re- we rebuild it using cp for up to 10 seconds but if you want to keep going at a high intensity we have to drop it down because now we have to break down glycogen anaerobic without oxygen and that can rebuild the ATP at a lower rate it's too fast but extends it up to two minutes and then if you want to keep going then we have to access oxygen to break down fat and carbohydrate a little bit of protein aerobically and that goes slower therefore I can rebuild the ATP but overall I'm reducing energy at a slower rate because energy is being delivered at a slower rate to rebuild the molecule to produce energy I'm not going to dig too deep. I know I probably went a bit deeper than I wanted to there. But that gives you an understanding is, is your training from a physiological point of view, is it, make, is it linked to the outcome and the performance? So that is the physiological uh, aspect. So we've got common sense, we've got position, we've got biomechanics, we've got muscular, we've got physiology. And, and the last one is that mental mindset. You know, does your training get you mentally prepared for the focus and the pressure and the and the uh, you know pressure makes diamonds for that event. If you look at my, if I'm going jogging, yes, I can have a bit of a chat to my friend and I can daydream a bit. And I can look at the the beautiful mountains behind me and all sorts of stuff. But when you if I'm going to do a sprint, then that's a different mindset because the body will only go with their mind will out. So sprinters, you watch them at the front start line, they all focus and they really mentally focus. And for a short burst, because everything counts, that mental focus can really activate the body by stimulating the endocrine system or the hormonal system to get it all agitated and aggravated and get it ready for that fight-flight uh, response and release the you know, adrenaline and uh, all those great hormones and cortisol to release the energy for that activity. So, yes, that you have to ask, is, is this training not just the body, but is also training 
my mind. So that was obviously an easy one to look at. If I look at some other examples that I've been exposed to or I've been involved in over the years, to, just to give you some examples so you can get a grasp of the process of analysing and breaking down a foundation and making sure that that foundation is the right foundation that's going to take to the peak of your performance and it's going to be the right outcome, then that's really important. Another one part of my journey, as I said, I was involved uh, in my Masters in Elite Level uh, Baseball, and I worked with national, international uh, baseball teams. I worked in the US in the Major League with the Milwaukee Brewers for uh, a period of time. And I always remember, uh, in my experience, coming across some things in the culture and tradition of certain sports, whether it be baseball or other sports I've been involved in, and I think, well, you know, that's what they're doing doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of the sports I've been involved in, I haven't had any practical uh, experience in. You know, I'm not a baseballer. Uh, I used to play cricket. Uh, I'm involved with the Olympic level uh, Olympic uh, teams and Olympic level uh, kayaking through the Australian Institute of Sport. I'm not a kayaker. I fell out. I fall out of kayaks. But because I had, I guess, those virgin eyes and I look at things which I don't have any emotional connection with or not connected to the tradition or this is what's always been done and this is how some guru in the past has did it, then I'm more likely to see it for what it is rather than what I want to, what it is. And that was, that was I guess, one of my advantages is because I had a, quite an analytical mind when you're looking at things and be able to break it down and not being emotionally connected to it so I can actually see what it is rather than what I want it to be. So baseball is one of those classic examples where a lot of the training pro protocols and training methods didn't make a lot of sense because how does that relate to baseball or even in kayaking? How does that relate to so kayaking? And over time, I had an influence in developing programs that use science and anatomy and physiology and biomechanics as the foundation uh, to improve people's uh, performance. So I'm no technical baseball coach or kayaking coach or technique coach, no idea. Martial arts and fighting, I'm very good at that. I've been doing that since I was 10 years of age, but these are not. But I, I do know anatomy, I do know physiology, do know biomechanics because you know, I guess my master's was uh, in sports biomechanics. So technically speaking, I'm a sports biomechanist because I'm involved in muscles and forces and angles and all sorts of that fun stuff. So baseball is a classic. I remember working with uh, a team of uh, pitchers. Uh, I worked in the off-season. I looked at pitching, and if you look at you know, baseball pitching, it's explosive. You know, basically, you get a ball, you're on a mound, and you've got to throw the ball as fast as you possibly can. Excuse if you're a baseball or pitcher watching my technique. You know, don't laugh. No, have a good laugh. And you get there, and you light up, and you woof, and you throw the baseball as fast as you can, whether it be a straight ball, curved ball, and all that involves different uh, slight adaptations and technique but it's very very explosive so if we have a look at uh, that overall analogy if you break it all down uh, and you go through that process you can say okay well I can break it down through my common sense from a body position from a, uh, a biomechanics a, uh, uh, from anatomy from a muscular and all, all that sort of stuff so what I was exposed I trained these guys based on the good principles of all those components which I just shared with you and we're coming into the pre-season and I was training them and then um, they st I'm not involved in the, the runnings of their baseball training but I am involved, I'm in control of what they do in the gym and off, off the field. But I was out training one night and all the, I was wondering where the, the pitchers were because at that time in the pre-season they said they were the strongest they've ever been, they had no injuries, they were throwing the fastest they ever have, they felt the best they ever have, and they were powering up. They said, when I throw a ball, you can see fire and smoke come off it. 
slight exaggeration, but that's how they felt. And I was very uh, you know, happy that I got them to their peak physical condition so then they can apply that physical uh, strength and power and speed to their technique of their pitching to prepare them for the upcoming season. And I was at training and they weren't there and I said, where, where are all the pitchers? And then they all came jogging in. And I said, where have you been? And uh, they said, uh, well, I've just been for our run. We're doing a 5K run and we're going to build that to a 10K run. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And they'd been advised by another uh, person who... You know, was a colleague of mine, and the, but they were more in control and that sort of things. Where I was control of the gym, but they were more in control of this. And I said, "Why are you doing that?" He says, "Well, that's going to build our base. It's going to build our uh, a foundation, so we can have the endurance of pitching throughout innings." Now, an innings consists of anywhere between sixty to maybe top end one hundred pitches, and they don't stop pitching because they're you know they're not fit or they're not uh, strong. It's just because they're smaller muscles, the rotator cuff. Yeah, the full rotator cuff, which is the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, teres minor, and subscapularis, particularly in pitching, puts a lot of stress on those uh, structures, those small stabilizing muscles that are deep in the glenohumeral joint, and they particularly they put a lot of strain on the infraspinatus and teres minor, which are the lateral rotators, and they're more the break, the eccentric contracting breaks of the shoulder joint. And I'm not going to go into it, but you really have to look after them because if those little muscles flare up or tear or get strained or whatever, then they're not pitching at all. So the only reason why they stop pitching is not because of the physical fitness and strength, it's more those smaller muscles. So I'm thinking to myself, what is long distance running? I, I can't remember seeing a baseball game where the pitcher has gone for a 10k run during the game. Because you don't run in pitching, all you do is you stand on the mound, and don't get me wrong, it's not all you do, it's really important, it's really focused, it's very intense. Baseball is really intense, it's all based on phosphate. When the ball is out of play, nothing's happening, when the ball is in play... It's sprinting everywhere, whether it be the pitcher throwing the ball as fast as they can or the hitter hitting as hard as they can or the outfielder sprinting for or the infielder getting the ball and throwing it at the first base or the catcher catching it and throwing the second base. They run, uh, run the runner out. Everything is really, really fast. So all of a sudden I have this team of uh, uh, pitchers doing slow, long endurance. And I thought that's very interesting. Didn't make any sense. So from a uh, common sense, didn't make sense. From a, a position, well, they're jogging, but really the position of pitching is, is this, not this. So a position overall doesn't really relate. From a bi- biomechanics, well, yeah, the legs don't do this when you're pitching. The legs, you know, you can't see my legs, but there's a technique in doing the legs. So there's maybe better things you can do biomechanically for your legs, whether it be squats or single leg step-ups or something like that, because it's unilateral with a rotation and you put force. But I'm not going to go into that. So from a biomechanics, it doesn't make sense. Uh, a, you don't pitch with the arms like this, jogging. This is the throwing action. So then you go into uh, the muscle uh, anatomy uh, when you look at, you know, pitching is all fast switch. It's a light load with maximal speed, phosphate generation, but fastest muscle activation, fast for the whole body and winding it. Yet you train the body slowly. Physiology is all based on phosphate. It's, it's, it's not even using cretin phosphate. It's just ATP because this happens within a second of the throw. You don't even have to use ATP uh, to endure uh, that high expression of force. Yet the long distance running is you know, aerobic. It's, 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 it's aerobic energy system where this is phosphate energy. Long distance is slow to its muscle fibers. You're not even using the upper body. Where, where pitching is 
and a fastest muscle fibers. So from a physiology it doesn't matter, and even from a mind, mental mindset, pitching is very focused. It's very you're on, you get into that zone, and then you have to play mind games with your uh, with your opponent. So again, using that example, that didn't make a lot of sense. And you know, unfortunately, uh, some of the pitchers as they went into the season, they had a great start of the season, but by the end, a lot of them were getting a you know, the of all that added volume of training. They were overtraining, they were losing strength, they were losing muscle, and some of them actually got injured. Uh, and sometimes that's, that extra foundation training doesn't just is not appropriate to the outcomes that you want, but it can be contradictory because slow distance is going to add that volume of repetitive strain through the body, a uh, bit of muscle wastes, a loss of strength, and eventually uh, an injury. And that's the last thing we want uh, for you or your uh, clients or your sporting team, whatever it might be. So there's a classic example of uh, using baseball as, as an analogy. Now, as you know, I'm a fighter. I'm a, I've done boxing in my younger days and judo and taekwondo and kick. I was a professional kickboxer in the day. So obviously how I used to train when I was young, I still compete to this day. And because I'm a bit more uh, uh, vintage of age, I have to be smarter. But I started learning to get smarter and using anatomy and physiology and biomechanics is my guidance in my early career rather than you and this is how he did it back in the old days and back in the Jack, you know, Jack Jackson days or Jack Dempsey days wherever it might be or Jack Johnson I'm referring to all the different old boxers so I found a lot of the things that boxers or kickboxers did I thought that doesn't make any common sense it doesn't make any positional sense biomechanical sense anatomical sense uh, physiology sense or even mental sense uh, I'll use a, a classic example of one component of this of which I used to do in my early years but I stopped doing it because it didn't make any sense there's a lot of uh, boxers or kickboxers the fighters though build a foundation by in the morning what do they do like in the Rocky movie they get up and they raw eggs Boom. <laughs> Don't know, I'm not going to open up that little box and they go for the, a long 5 10k run in the morning and they go for a a jog, and a lot of the time it's a basically a plug jog. They might do a bit of a sprint at the end up the stairs, like Rocky, or sprint at the end. And you're the fruit people throw fruit at you. You probably know if you watch the Rocky series. Um, but a lot of it, though, is a tradition. They always start the morning with a long, and that builds that cardiovascular, that foundation, that, that base uh, to endure through the five rounds, 10 rounds, 15 rounds. So, first of all, if you what fighting you're doing, I only have to do two two minute rounds now in the style of fighting which I do, which is ITF Taekwondo and uh, a bit of Waco kickboxing. Uh, when I was younger, as a professional kickboxer, I used to do 10 rounds. So obviously, I probably need a bit more endurance to get through the 10 rounds. But what is interesting, if you look at uh, jogging for the fighting, uh, first of all, it goes back to uh, common sense. Why am I doing this? And do you see people jogging around the ring or the mat... That's not what they do in the ring. They don't plug jog around the ring, but that's what you're doing for your training. So common sense, it doesn't make any common sense. From a body position, I'm upright, I'm rhythmical in a straight line, but when I'm boxing, I'm jumping around and going lateral and going around and all that. So I'm moving around. So straight away, the position of my position is very different than when I'm jogging. From a biomechanical point of view, uh, when I'm moving around in, in boxing or kickboxing or fighting arts, whatever, or combat sports, a lot of the time I'm on the ball of the feet. I'm on the ball of the foot. I'm going lateral. I'm coming around this way, through in and out. But plug jogging is just, I'm actually doing running heel-toe. Heel-toe, upright, rhythmical arms. So you may say, well, that 
biomechanics and that position is not really relevant to to fighting maybe an idea is to get fitter doing what you're going to get fit for rather than getting fitter for something which you're not going to do and hoping it's going to have some uh, crossover effect and don't get me wrong every form of training will have some form of crossover effect but the idea of this is to maximize that crossover effect so you can train more effectively and efficiently and stop wasting time and most importantly not get injured because that adds a lot of value uh, volume and repetitive strain uh, to the body then you have a look at the the muscular activation then if you look at muscular wise in fighting a lot of it's, it's fast twitch i don't punch slowly my goal is to punch quickly so if i'm fighting here i'll boom 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 move around duck weave up and everything's fast ideally when i hit someone i hit fast because power equals speed by strength without opening that uh, too much into that but now i'm actually training slow twitch muscle fibers where a lot of the time, yes, I move around and I'm using my slow twitch to get into position, but sometimes I use my fast twitch to get out of the way or to bob underneath, and I use my fast to jab or to kick. So again, I'm using different anatomy or different muscular muscle fiber types. And then if you look at physiology, long distance training is all aerobic. However, when I perform in the ring for the two minutes or three minutes, a lot of that is anaerobic or phosphate. You know, it's phosphate in terms of fast, fast, but if I need to keep doing it, then that's extended going into anaerobic. And when do I use aerobic? When I break away and catch my breath. Or at the end of the round, go and sit in the corner and catch my breath. So yes, I'm using my aerobic energy system to break down my fats and glycogen, to release the energy to rebuild my ATP so I can rebuild it all up for the next round but also aerobically to buffer and oxidize the lactic acid that I build up in that round and you might say well isn't that why you do long distance running yeah but that's activating the aerobic system in a completely different environment that's the aerobic system plug jogging in a straight line to increase that but you'll be maybe better off developing your aerobic energy system the way it functions in a fight or any form of interval type sport whether it be boxing or whether it be soccer or whether it be basketball which is this interval where you have a work rest ratio where long distance running is long work but a low intensity where a lot of interval sports are high work and then you have a rest whether it be a rest in walking in the like rugby league you run up refer bang and you do a tackle or get tackled phosphate anaerobic do the few of them in a row lactate then you go back in the line catch your breath use your aerobic energy system so you might it'd be more specific to condition your aerobic energy system the way it performs in the sport rather than condition it in an unrelated way and hoping it's going to have a crossover because it's never going to be the same training it you know, this way a long distance versus as a form to recover from anaerobic bouts of high intense tense activity so from a physiological point of view doesn't also make a lot of sense and even from the mental point of view you know i am very conscious that when i train i train according to the focuses that i perform at so if i'm you work in the bag i'm not just lazy working the bag i'm that bag is an opponent that i'm focused on and every round is at 100 percent intensity and focus because that's how it has to be in the boxing ring or in the basketball court or whether it be in the soccer field because if you get a mental mind shift that could open up a gap that someone will hit you or score a goal against you whether it be tennis whatever you've got to be focused at all times 
yeah, we're long distance running, you can sort of, your mind can wander off with the fairies, so you're not really conditioning your mind appropriate uh, to the mental mindset and the focus and the concentration and get into that zone. So train the zone. And someone like Michael Jordan was a classic of that. He trained at 100% because he performed at 100%. Because in sport, you don't raise to your level of expectations, you lower down to the level of training. So the more intense and specific your training is, you're going to lower down to that level. You're not going to raise to those expectations of hope. So that's an example of using something which I'm more uh, uh, experienced in is, is boxing or the combat sports. You know, another example might be uh, powerlifting, and I've been involved in, in obviously in strength and power. In the times where I've come across people who are saying, I'm going to develop my... Because powerlifting is 1RM bench press, 1RM squat, 1RM deadlift. And I see a lot of time people doing a high amount of volume of work where they might be doing, say, uh, 15 sets of, 10, of 12 repetitions. And I say, why are you doing 15 sets or 10 sets of 15? Why are you doing this high volume of work? Why are you doing 15 sets of 10 or 10 sets of 10? When you're on in the sporting performance, you only do one set of one. That doesn't make any sense because 15 sets is completely common sense. Doesn't make any common sense. From a uh, body position, uh, you you're more in the, yeah you you look in the right body position when you're doing a high load or a low load. But also remember biomechanically, your body position will change subtly in a high load versus a low load. I remember a, a study which I was reading once from a, bio, 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 a biomechanics uh, research study analyzing the biomechanics of doing a 1RM squat versus a 10RM squat. And they found when you lighten the load to do a higher reps, your body position subtly changed than in doing a 1RM squat. Because when you do a 1RM squat, you don't have any room for uh, uh, error. <laughs> you go slightly off with a 1RM, you're, you're going down. But we've got a 10RM, you can have got a bit more room for error, so you can be a bit more complacent, you can be more adaptive in your technique to do it. So the biomechanics of the joint angles and the movement of the angles in a 1RM was very different to a... Uh, a 10RM or a 15RM and that's the same with running the biomechanics of jogging because I can be a bit more lapsed and not as focused in my technical aspects of my joints versus sprinting where everything counts I guess it's like if I have a, a light ball or a, a, and you say can you throw me jump, gently throw me the ball or it might be throw a tissue or whatever and I get there and I go okay there you go and I don't have to throw it a meter but I, if I have to get that same ball and I have to try to 100% maximum effort because I'm in a major league baseball uh, pitching uh, team and this is for, then when I throw that ball, I can throw like that, am I? I can get away with that, right? I can get away with it. And I don't need to wind it right up for a half-hearted throw. So if I want to throw it hard, I'm going to woof and line it up to maximize the speed and acceleration, the power and the effect of the throw versus so when I use light loads my over biomechanics can subtly and sometimes dramatically change so doing uh, 10RM squats versus 1RM squats this could be biomechanics you could be conditioning your body um, in a wrong biomechanical pattern doing low weight and high repetitions uh, if you want to train for powerlifting if that's the sport that you're training for so Again, it's taking into account the, the biomechanics. I remember uh, I used to work at the Australian Institute of Sport and, and one of the, my colleagues was looking after us. So I looked after the kayakers 
and oh, you, I won't go too much into this one, but I said, what, are you, what are they doing in the gym? And they're doing power cleans, power lifts and Olympic lifts. And they're quite, they became quite popular in the 90s because they thought, well, Olympic lifters and power lifters are powerful. Therefore, if I get my athletes to do those lifts, then they'll become powerful and fast. And that's great. That's like, well, that's like saying, well, uh, uh, a donkey is really strong and all that bit. Uh, therefore, I get my giraffe to do the same thing the donkey does, and that may break its legs. <laughs> if you train someone who's maybe genetically uh, gifted to do Olympic lifts and power lifts and powerlifting because they've got short levers and they're stocky and they have all those uh, added benefits from a genetics point of view, and then you get someone who's built like a praying mantis to train that way, then that may actually cause injury because they're not biomechanically built for that way. And the classic example was... Um, uh, the, the, the swimmers were breaststrokers and they're doing Olympic lifts, cleans and jerks and all sorts of stuff. So from just looking at that, I says, why are they doing this when they're in a pool doing that? And I won't go through the whole uh, questions I asked, but just straight away, that doesn't even tick the, the common sense uh, cycle. There might be better ways uh, to build a foundation and better ways that are uh, more related or more specific to the outcomes uh, that they want. So you've got to look at what foundation that, that you need. A lot of time uh, people will try to build a foundation on the extreme. I'll finish off with this where they'll look at an elite marathon runner and they'll train their way uh, to build their ability to run a marathon. But you've got to remember they're elite. If you, you try to drive your car the way uh, a, a Formula One driver drives their car, you probably bust it up and crash it because it's not genetically designed that way or conditioned that way. Rory's a classic where, you know, she loves marathons. She's run 21 marathons, uh, an amazing feat, and uh, she runs marathons every year. And she's not necessarily built like a Ethiopian or Kenyan female 50-kilogram runner with long, lean, lean skin. Rory's more athletically built. So she's not really built for long distance from a weight to, uh, a weight to power ratio and the way she's designed. But she loves the challenge and the character building of, of running marathons. So therefore, her body's not really designed to do the massive amount of volume, doing 20k runs, 30k runs, 40k runs. And her life wasn't conducive to that. So she used her knowledge in anatomy and physiology and biomechanics and all that to design a program uh, that's going to be best for her, that can achieve what she wants to achieve out of a marathon without actually hurting herself or overtraining or modelling off an extreme person when you're not an extreme person. So what she integrated into her lifestyle was really short, brief, high-intensity uh, interval training, uh, and that got her physically strong. She found that with, she, just, she did a lot of strength training with that. They made her tendons and her bones and her muscles strong. She increased her cardiovascular fitness through more interval training because it's more time efficient. It actually got her fitter faster. Her aerobic system was, was built through the uh, recovery cycle of that. And with doing anywhere you know, from 15 to 20 minute training sessions uh, per day, she achieved quite great uh, times uh, in those 21 marathons. And for someone like that, just to do a sub-four-hour marathon is, is quite an amazing feat. But she didn't do the ridiculous, because a lot of time people will do massive amounts of foundation work for their first marathon. They'll burn themselves out, they'll overtrain, they'll get the marathon done, they'll finish the line and say, I'm never doing that again, because they compromised their whole life, and they did all this massive training that led to possibly injuries, because they weren't conditioned for it, they're not genetically uh, gifted for it. 
And some of the injuries I've had in the past, uh, in my early kickboxing days, was not from the training in kickboxing, but from all the supplementary training. I ended up getting uh, plantar fasciitis, I started getting osteitis, patellofemoral syndrome, and that didn't come from the quality brief uh, sessions of boxing and kickboxing. They came from the long road runs and, and the distance work and the plug jogging, because that created that repetitive strain injury. So that was not necessarily building a foundation, that was actually breaking the foundation. So you've got to be careful that your training is building the foundation with the right intensity, with the right uh, frequency, with the, with the right training tool to make sure it's specific. So just to recap, those things that you can ask yourself for any training program, number one, does it make common sense? Number two, is the body in the, the right position? Look at the sport, look at the outcome. From a, like if it's a shadow, you know, where they have those screens with the light uh, in the background. If you look at the shadow of the sport, then you look at the shadow of the training. Do you say, yeah, could you sort of see some relation to it? Well, body position doesn't make a lot of sense. Then the next two, break it further down from that. And if, if it doesn't make any common sense, then you probably don't even have to go any further. But if it doesn't even tick the body position box, you don't even have to go any further. Why do I go swimming to get fitter for running? Why do I go uh, swimming to get fitter for cycling? Um, the, the, you're not going to have a good crossover as a good a crossover and actually doing the activity. It's good specificity of training. Then the next breakdown is looking at the, the biomechanics, which is the joints. Again, look at individual joints, the foot, the, the action joints, obviously, that uh, contribute to the performance So break it down into the joints. Then you can look at the, the muscles. You know, what are the muscles? Are they performing at the fastest fibres? Are they slow-twitch fibres? Are they, are they more endurance? Are they power? Are they strength? Are they agility? And the muscles. So look at the, the muscles and the performance of the muscles. Are they in line with the outcomes that you want? Why train slow if I want to go fast? Why train on the ground if I perform in the upright position? So these are just some common things. Then you look at the physiology. It means is the, the duration of the of of the the event is the work rest ratios the energy systems is it phosphate is it more lactate is it aerobic or is it a combination of those such as uh, interval type sports such as basketball and and boxing and all sorts of stuff where you have different ratios and are you training according to the ratios that's going to build a great appropriate foundation specific to the sport to give you the ideal outcome and then the mindset the mindset are you going to be focused and my last example of doing a 10 RM squat or 50 RM squat versus 1 RM squat the mindset of doing a 1 RM is very different than the mindset of hey you can sort of mess up the first couple and it's not going to make any difference at the start of a marathon you can mess up the start and trip and go oh damn scratch your head type your shoelace and still run and you have plenty of time to make it up and win the event but you don't have that that, that at 100 meters spent, you have to be 100% on mentally and physically uh, to win the event. So the last one is, does your training not just develop the body, but also develop the mind to get you in there, that physical and the mental zone to get the outcomes that you want uh, in a, an effective, time efficient, but most importantly, a safe way, because if you're injured because you do too much or too much of the wrong thing or biomechanically the wrong thing, then that's going to lead to injury. And if you're injured, then that's the end of your goals because you can't train to get your goals. So, hope that's been helpful. Ask those questions, be honest, and I'll see you in the next KMAX. Mm-hmm.